it's been a, a very crazy, hectic week for me. I left uh, Sunday after lunch and went out of town and was basically out of town all week working and 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 the work was such that there wasn't really any time for anything except work. Working during breakfast, working during lunch, working during dinner, working after dinner, working till midnight, getting up the next morning and working. And, 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 and it, was, uh, it was kind of a brutal week in some ways. And in the middle of the week, I got an email message from uh, uh, my good, dear friend and, and brother and brother-in-law all rolled into one, Kevin Roberts. And he sent me this email saying from C.S. Lewis, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. And I thought that was really, really good. And so as I was rewriting the lesson this morning, or no, I didn't rewrite it this morning. I promise those handouts were made yesterday. As I was rewriting the lesson for this morning, uh, uh, I put that in there. And I thought, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, music meant a lot to me. Now, one of our daughters was at debate camp this year, and she hated it. Absolutely hated it. She'd been there, I think, uh, five minutes when we got the first call, come get me, I must come home. I'm not joking. Five minutes. (laughs) And the calls and the emails and the texts came uh, with great rapidity. And I told her, I said, dear one, I said, when I was your age, it was a marvelous time when there were strains and stresses and difficult situations to grab a hold of some praise and worship music and do you a soundtrack that will minister to you. And it'll minister to you your whole life. And she said, okay, but can you come pick me up and we can talk about it? (laughs) I was reminded of the fact that when I was her age, going through my own teenage issues of struggles and everything else, there was this new Christian artist singing songs. Her name was Amy Grant. And Amy Grant had a little teenage girl song which said the same thing as C.S. Lewis. It just didn't say it the way an Oxford English don would have, where he can put it into, what, nine words? And hers took like 17 verses. But it was the same concept. She said, it seems with you there's something new every time I turn around. I never really know quite what to expect, but it won't keep me down because I know you bring each and everything to teach me how to live. And the secret of it all is trusting in you and the wisdom you give. And the name of her song was Faith Walking People. And it was a tremendous, fun, great little message for me at the age of 16 or however old I was. But the remarkable thing is, here I am at 52, and that song still exists in my brain. And there are times where I still call that song up and rely on that song to help sustain me through difficult times. Music has an incredible power. And we left off last week with Paul and Silas being imprisoned in Philippi. And they were singing worship songs to the Lord at midnight when the earthquake happened. And God would have released them, but they just stayed in jail and kept singing. 
knowing if they had fled that the jailer's life would have been forfeited. He would have been killed for being derelict in his duties. So we left with Paul and Silas singing hymns. And I thought, you know, the, the, the songs that I'm telling my daughters to listen to, the songs that I listened to, that I still listen to, the soundtrack of our lives is something I don't understand fully, but it didn't even start with Paul. It had been going on a lot longer. Because we can go back to the Psalms and read Psalm 96.1 where the psalmist says to sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. And at the end of verse 6, one of the reasons why is given. Because when you are blessing the Lord and you're singing to the Lord and you're praising the Lord, you're drawing into His presence. And in the presence of God are strength and beauty. And so for Paul, or for my children, or for me, or for you, to draw into the presence of God in song, not only provides the strength that we get from God, but it provides beauty in the sense of a perception of things, a recognition of reality for what it is. And so it's a marvelous, marvelous thing. And I want that to be kind of the, the drumbeat behind this lesson. As we work through what happened in the continuing saga of Paul's missionary journey, second missionary journey. Now, we've put a, a nice satellite view up this morning. We're going to work off of the satellite. I keep experimenting with which map works best. Sorry about that. But... If you recall, in Antioch, we started out with Paul and Silas. And I, I'm going to go back just quickly. We're going to go through this really fast because I want you to see the ebb and flow of what happens. So Paul and Silas start out in Antioch and they decide they're going to go see the churches they, they saw established on their first missionary journey. So their goal is really just to go to Derby, Iconium, Lystra, and Antioch while Barnabas and John Mark go hit the churches on the island of Crete. And they do it by going over land, and they go, and along the way when they're in Lystra, they pick up a young man, Timothy. And Timothy joins them on this mission effort. So what started out as Paul and Barnabas, lost Barnabas, picked up Silas, now adds Timothy to the troop. And they continued on from there. And as they continued to work their way toward the west. Sorry, it got turned around. Yeah, that's west. As they continued to work their way. It's really weird when I'm facing you. For me, west is over here. But for you, west is over here. So, west. Okay, sorry. So, they go west. And at that point, their plan is to turn northward and to knock out the northern region of Galatia and Bithynia and the areas up just south of the Black Sea. They're basically going to take Turkey out in one fell swoop. But the Lord prevents them from going there. The Lord says, no, you're not allowed to go there. That's not what I have for you. And instead they go on further west to Troas. Now going to Troas was not Paul's plan. It wasn't. But it was God's. 
It's that Amy Grant thing. It seems with you there's something new every time I turn around. This is not... Paul had a very clear plan. Paul was going to go to the churches where they were and then finish that, that mission effort north of those churches. But God says, no, you're going to Troas. So Paul goes to Troas, and what happens in Troas? He picks up another one. He adds Luke. What would the world have been like if Paul had not picked up Luke? What would the world have been like if Paul had been disobedient to the Lord and said, hey, mission works, mission work. I'm going where I want to go. And, and had not had this anyway. So Paul follows the Lord. He goes to Troas. He picks up Luke. And now we've got Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke. They take the boat. They head over toward Neapolis. From Neapolis, they go inland to Philippi. This is where we had them last week. Now, we want to add a little bit to last week. We get to add some more knowledge here. Philippi is not just any city. Philippi is a way station on a road called the Via Ignatia. Via is Latin for road. Actually, they would have pronounced it via, but it's spelled via. Via means road. Ignatia is the road. This is the road that goes across from Istanbul, modern Istanbul, and it goes across to the western... See, I'm doing it again. From Istanbul, yeah, yeah he's over there for y'all, to the western coast of, of Greece, Macedonia. And there is the harbor where you take the boat over. Now, this is the actual road, ruins of the road in Philippi. Those Roman roads were six meters wide. Figure 3.3 feet to a meter. That's 19 and a half feet wide. Well paved, sloped so that they stayed dry in the middle because the water would run off. So these are an incredible accomplishment. And Paul and Timothy and Luke and Silas are all on this road. The ruins that you see in this photograph are actual ruins of the road still present in Philippi if you were to go there today. Now the thing about this road is it's not only stretched across Greece, but at the harbor on the western end was where the boats took you over to the boot of Italy where you could get on the Via Appia, or the Appian Way, the Appian Road, that took you into Rome. This is the shortest way to Rome. It's the safest way to Rome. The sailing is a day's sail from one shore to the next. Paul is on the road to Rome when he's in Philippi. And so as we read the text, Paul leaves Philippi with, and, and, and leaves Luke behind, I might add, by Luke. Leaves Luke behind, and he goes to Amphipolis. Amphipolis is the next town on the road to Rome. From Amphipolis, he goes to Apollonia. Apollonia is the next town on the road. 
on the road to Rome. Paul is making his way to Rome. Something that should not surprise us. Because when he wrote the letter to the Romans, he said, Hey, I've been wanting to see you. I've been trying to see you. I've been planning on seeing you. I've been trying to get there. Just hadn't gotten there yet. Paul's working his way to Rome. The next town along the road to Rome is a town called Thessalonica. And so Paul gets to Thessalonica and he goes to the synagogue there. And in Thessalonica, it's time to do some evangelism. Now, if you go to Thessalonica today, Thessalonike, they call it. If you go to there today, you don't get to see many of the old ruins because the city has just been built on top of those ruins. So you'd have to tear down the city to do it. But the ruins are there. It was a very, very prominent town. In fact, it was the major metropolis of the area. The population was somewhere between 60 and 100,000, which made it the most populous city on the road as well. So Paul and his crew go there. There are three passages we need to look at to get kind of a feel of what's going on. So we're going to look at the Acts passage. But then we're going to understand it in light of the letter Paul wrote to the Philippian church where he had just left. And then we'll go to 1 Thessalonians to understand a bit more. So let's start with Acts 17. Now, this is the actual story as it's unfolded by Luke in Luke's narrative. So Paul gets kind of kicked out of Philippi. And when they'd passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they'd passed through, in other words, they're on the road. They're on the Via Ignatia, okay? When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So stop, we've got a synagogue here. So Paul goes in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So he would take scriptures and say, look, from the scriptures you can see it was necessary for the Messiah to die, for him to be raised again. However... He didn't leave it there. He said, the Jesus that I've been telling you about, the the, the historical person 15 years ago, we're in about 49 AD, 16 years ago, in Jerusalem, he is the Messiah. He's the one that was crucified. He's the one that was resurrected. Now, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. Now, the Jews here doesn't mean all of the Jews. It means the Jews that were not persuaded. Their jealousy from the context seems to come from the fact that all of these God-fearing Gentiles are now coming in. We've had the Jerusalem conference. There's no issue anymore of do they have to become Jews first. Paul's very bold, and Paul's got Silas with him who was there for the Jerusalem conference who can boldly say, You become a Christian and you are right with God. And there's no difference between you and a Jew in terms of being God's favorite. God loves all equally in Jesus. And this made the Jews, unbelieving Jews, 
jealous. How dare you say the Greeks are no different than us? Taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. So Jason is likely one of the converts. Now, when they could not find them, meaning Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. Uh, um, Whoops. Thank you. Where are we? Yeah, there we go. They... They uh, could not find them. They dragged Jason, some of the brothers, before the city authorities. The city authorities there, by the way, is just side note. This is a freebie you get by coming to church here. Polytarchs is the word that Luke uses. And for, oh, a hundred years, all of the critical uh, legal scholars who don't want to believe in God or the Bible, but teach it would go and write on Luke and, and Acts and say, uh, clearly Acts was written by some idiot 150 years or so after Jesus because polytarchs is some word that, that, that's made up, that's not a government official, that doesn't have anything to do it. You know, where Luke gets this from, this is just some guy who's trying to look impressive in his writing who didn't have a clue what went on. Might be interested to know in the last 50 years, though they don't have a lot of... of uh, of uh, uh, archaeology done in Thessalonica. They have uncovered things that include placards saying, here's where the polytarchs ruled. Um, (laughs) Whoops, there goes 150 years of critical scholarship. Uh, Turns out it was a unique word for that area, for the citizen rulers of that city. And Luke was dead on with his language too. Anyway, that's just... That's a side point. Okay, so they go before the polytarch shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason's received them. They're acting against the decrees of, Jesus, of Caesar saying there's another king, Jesus. When the people and the city authorities uh, were, and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, and then they let him go. He posted bail. They hauled him in, he posted bail, and with it seems to be an assurance that the rabble-rousers would go. So what happens? The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue there. Now, what happened for Paul while he was there? We know that Paul was actually working for a living. Because he tells the Thessalonians in his letter to him, hey, I didn't take any money from you guys. I wasn't there trying to sell something to you. I was there delivering the good news. And I was working the whole time so you could never accuse me of saying that this is something that I'm doing for my benefit. So Paul makes that clear to the Thessalonians. Interesting side note he also did receive some help from the Philippian church while he was there. Because he tells the Philippian church in Philippians 1.5 that they had partnered with him in the gospel from the very beginning. So if we look, for example, at um, the second Thessalonians, I mean the first Thessalonians 2 passage. 
1 Thessalonians 2. We see in verse, uh, we see Paul. Now you see, Paul recognized the brothers had to, sh- to, get, to ship Paul off in the middle of the night. And so Paul didn't get a chance. I mean, he wasn't planning on leaving. He didn't say his goodbyes. He didn't give his final word. He didn't say, hey, let me give you some counsel. Hey, write this down. Hey, let me appoint elders. Hey, let me do. It's just in the middle of the night, totally unexpected. No thought behind it at all. He gets shuttled out of town. So Paul writes back to the Thessalonians. And we'll look at when he wrote that, probably the next week or the week after. Paul wrote back and said to him, um, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. We're not doing this to please man. We're doing this to please God. Ties in really well with Pastor Stephen's sermon this morning. We never came with words of flattery. It wasn't a pretext for greed. God is witness. We didn't seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Now, we could have made demands as apostles, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. You remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. He's saying, I was working the whole time I'm preaching so that you wouldn't have to pay me while we proclaimed to you the gospel. Your witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. Now, uh, as, as we continue down here, let's skip down to verse 17 because we'll deal with Thessalonians at another time. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So finally, he sends Timothy instead. And that's in the letter. So now, if we go back to Thessalonica. So here they are in Thessalonica. They have the problems. They get shuttled out in the middle of the night. It's a quick and a shameful nighttime departure. You say, what is shameful about that? We need to remember Paul was trained as a rabbi. And the rabbinical training that he received was such that you never, ever start a journey at night. You don't for two reasons. Number one, it's not safe. They don't have lit roads out in the countryside. You don't have bright lights on your chariot. Not that he was in a chariot. He's walking. He didn't even have flashlight. Ever ready had not yet made the batteries. So one, it's not safe. Common sense says you don't do it. But two, it was shameful. Because since it wasn't safe, the general view was men who were slinking out at night were doing it for no good reason. So the rabbis taught, and I brought you some rabbi teaching today. This is from the Talmud. 
I mean, look what it says. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's look on the English side. All right, there we go. We have learned in accord with Rabbi Sheila, R period stands for rabbi or rev. We have learned if one starts out on a journey before the Kiryas Hagever, that's uh, the cock crows, before the, the morning cock crows, until uh, uh, the Kiryas Hagever, his blood comes upon his own head. Rabbi Josiah says he should wait until it's crowed twice just to be on the safe side. Some say until he's crowed three times. This is very typical Jewish rabbinic writings. What kind of rooster? Because <laughs> they know somewhere some Jew is asking that question. The average kind. Very, very typical Jewish writing, a rabbinical writing. You know, they're going to cover every base in these, these rabbis' discussions. Okay, so, so Paul's trained to know. You don't go out. You don't start a journey at night. I don't know if Paul was of the got to crow once, twice, or three time variety. But regardless, it's a quick and shameful departure. Now look what happens here. That's the Talmud. It's a Yoma 21a. Okay. Um, look what happens here. They take Paul from Thessalonica. They follow the road just a little bit. And then they get off the highway. They're dodging. The, we don't know exactly what happened in Thessalonica, but there were people really, really upset. And I'll show you how we know that in a minute. But one hint we've got is they go south to this place called Berea, which is off the main highway. It's down south toward a harbor. In the lowlands, the mountains are just immediately to the west. It's, it's in the coastal area that comes off of the mountains there. And um, this was not Paul's plan. But it was God's. See, Paul was headed to Rome. Paul was going to take the gospel to the heart of the Roman Empire. And he'd been going stop by stop by stop. And these guys take him in the middle of the night in a shameful way. And they take him out of town and they take him off the highway down south to Berea. You know, it's really interesting. Because Paul goes south to Berea, and what we'll read about in a minute with the story is the Thessalonians were so upset with Paul that they actually went chasing after him. They found him in Berea, and they caused so much trouble for Paul in Berea, Paul's got to be shipped out of Berea. There's no way. Now, Paul's probably in Berea biding his time to get back on the highway and head on to Rome. But he's got no shot. The Thessalonians have come at him again. And as a result of God's plan instead of Paul's, Paul has a chance to convert people in Berea, and from there Athens, and from there Corinth. Without the Corinthians, converted by Paul, 
Where would the world be without 1 Corinthians chapter 13? What's more, since Paul's not able to get to Rome, do you know what he does instead? He writes the letter to the book, or the book we call Romans. God had an amazing plan so far beyond the plan of Paul. And I don't know if Paul's thinking the Amy Grant song or if Paul's thinking the C.S. Lewis quote or maybe he's singing his own psalm. But Paul was a faith-walking man who knew that the plans may not be his plans, but they were the Lord's plans and that's what he wanted. And so we follow the story. Now, if you go to Berea today, there's not much to see. Uh, uh, They haven't done a good job at at digging into the archaeological stuff at all. But we can read about briefly what happened there. It's not a long story if we look in Acts 17, 10 through 15. So we flip back to Acts again. And here we have the story. Now, Uh, 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 10, 10, 10. Where's 10? Ah, there it is. Hold on. Okay, so the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. To see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed. Because they examined the scriptures. And because they were eager and noble. For the things of God. So many therefore believed. With not a few Greek women of high standing. As well as men. But when the Jews of Thessalonica. Learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea. When they found him. When they found where he was and what he was doing, they came there too. They walked 40 miles to go get Paul. I mean, how many, who does that? I mean, seriously, I've had people aggravate me before. And when they leave, it's just kind of like, good riddance. You know, if I'm feeling particularly bad, I'll spit. <laughs> but I'm not going to walk 40 miles just to persecute them. When I'm through, i got to walk 40 miles home. I wear a Fitbit. This keeps track of how many steps I walk. And I'm all for walking. By the way, I strongly recommend you buy one of these. It's amazing. It makes you park in the furthest possible space because at the end of the day, you compare with your wife who's walked the most steps. (laughs) Becky, on the other hand, has figured out if she just does this, she gets credit. (laughs) But I don't go walking 40 miles. They came there agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. 
So now we go back to the story, or this PowerPoint. So Paul loses Silas and Timothy, but Paul heads down to Athens. Now Paul is alone in Athens. When you sail into the harbor in the Piraeus there, Piraeus is the little harbor area of Athens. When you sail in, your eye is immediately captivated by the Acropolis, even today. And if you've been there, you see it up on this hill. And this is after 2,000 years of destruction on that thing. At the time, it was in great condition. So Paul... I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. This is Paul. He doesn't want to do a mission trip alone. He wants to go with Barnabas. Then Barnabas goes a different way, so he takes Silas. Then he picks up Timothy. Then he picks up Luke. But then he loses Luke. Then he loses Silas. Then he loses Timothy. It's Paul all alone, save for the fact that Jesus, with Jesus, we're never alone. And Paul goes into Athens, which is the center of the intellectual world. It's the center of culture. It's the birthplace of democracy. If you don't even read philosophy, you've at least heard of Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. They all made their mark in Athens. Athens is and was a a great center of Greek culture and understanding. And I just wonder what it would have been like for Paul. I mean, Paul spoke Greek. We read his Greek letters. He did good with Greek. Paul was, grew up, at least some, in his birthplace of Tarsus, which was a Greek-educated city. I think Paul must have been really excited, but also antsy. I don't think Paul liked to be alone. He's always asking someone to come with him, even at the end of his life. Please send Mark, John Mark. You know, hey, send so-and-so. I'm not alone. I've got these people with me. He's always making that point. But he's all alone, and he goes there. And so it, you, we can read the story, and let's, let's we'll inter- go back and forth between the PowerPoint because I've pulled some pictures for you. But let's go to Acts 17, 16 for a minute. So here we go. So Paul is waiting for Silas and Timothy to come join him in Athens. And his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. I had lunch on Monday with um, a 79-year-old law professor who's an icon of, of the bar. He is, um, if you ever saw the movie Paper Chase, it was based on him. His name's Arthur Miller. And Arthur's a dear friend of mine. He was on Good Morning America as their legal guy for 20 years. He's, he's uh, done more TV than any lawyer in his age and generation. He's just an absolutely erudite, brilliant, marvelous man. Still teaches. And I was talking to him about his students. And, he said, and I said, yeah, your students, you know, it's really interesting because one of our daughters has been talking to some of his students. And, and, and he said, yeah, well, you know, he said, I don't get the students. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, they're scared of me. And I said, they idolize you. 
He says, but I'm just me. And I said, well, you're, you're a heavyweight in the legal world. And he says, but I still don't get it. And I said, Professor, I know you don't agree with me on matters of faith. But I, I said, because he's not sure if there's a God or not. We've had many discussions. I said, but I want to tell you what I believe to be true. God has made all of us with a heart toward worship. And it's a heart to worship him. And if we don't know him, we fill it up with idols. We fill it up with other people that we are things or ideas or concepts that we worship. That we think are worth living for. That scare us. That awe us. That inspire us. Because it's the nature of how we're made. I said, so we're always making idols. If we don't know God. And your students, some of them, idolize you. I don't know that he agreed with me, but I still believe it. Anyway, so Paul sees all of these idols, right? And Paul is really upset. So he still goes to the synagogue and reasons with the Jews, but he also goes to the marketplace every day with those that happen to be there. Now, the marketplace, the agora in Greek... He goes to the Agora. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers are also conversed with him. Some of them said, what does this babbler wish to say? The word for babbler, spermologos, is a, a, a seed picker, like a sparrow or just like a, a street person who's picking garbage out to eat. What does, it's very derogatory. What does this babbler uh, wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because He was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took hold of him and they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You bring some strange things to our ears and we want to know what these mean. Then Luke adds this really positive uh, uh, Michelin tour guide comment for everybody. He says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Luke, clearly not a fan of the Athenians. Okay, if we go back to the PowerPoint for a moment. So Paul goes in, and Paul goes to the Agora. This is a reconstruction of what the Agora would have looked like at his time. The Agora was a major meeting place. It was a major conversing place. It was a marketplace all rolled into one. Here are the ruins of it now. You can see in the ruins here in the foreground of the Agora... Up on the hill to the top right of that picture is the Parthenon. That is the Acropolis, the high city. So you've got the the Parthenon and all of those temples up there, the temple to Athene Nike. Now, we're told by Luke that Paul engages with some Epicureans and some Stoic philosophers. Let's talk about them for a moment. The Epicureans were named after their forefather of thought, Epicurus. Epicurus lived and taught in Athens. He lived between 341 and 270 B.C. So we're 300 years or so after he had died, but there were still a lot of people who followed his teaching. Here's some of what he taught. First, everything is matter. They were materialists. 
there's nothing that, that well, he had a concept of the void. So if you're a philosophy major, you're saying, oh, you left out his void. Oh, okay, set that aside. Everything else but the void is matter and materialism. Okay, so even the, e, 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 everything you see, physical. Next, reason trumps everything. Reasoning and rational thought is the highest and best. Next, you should live your life to find happiness. Now, we sometimes take that word epicurean and turn it into something uh, that fits with a grocery store under the idea that you're supposed to eat, drink, and be merry. He wasn't a glutton. He said that reason would dictate happiness, but happiness is really found with a serenity, a tranquility, uh, just an acceptance about things. The main way you're going to get your happiness is by accepting the fact that you're going to die, and when you do, it snuffs out. There's no afterlife. He would say there are gods, but they don't care. They're seeking their own happiness. And so this is Epicurus. So Paul's engaging the Epicureans. Now, a contemporary of Epicurus was a fellow named Zeno of Sidium. And they say of Sidium because they're a bunch of famous old Zenos. Lived a little bit younger, but lived at the same time as Epicurus. And not surprisingly, his philosophy was very similar, but had some nuanced differences. For the, 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 the Stoics of the day, everything is matter. By the way... The covered colonnade in Greek is called a stoa, S-T-O-A. And Zeno would march under the stoa while he lectured to his students who sat and stood in the stoa and listened. Hence, they are called stoics. That's where the word comes from. So, they're materialist. They're also very unemotional. Emotions are a travesty. They believe everything should be reasonable and logical and very unemotional. You can't go up. You can't go down. You flatline. (laughs) And they would say there's a God, but the God is just, it's a very pantheistic thing. It's kind of the soul behind all of the things in the world. So Paul engages these folks. And he engages them enough to where they want him to go to the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus is a... Ares is the Greek word for the Latin god Mars, the god of war. So in Latin mythology, you'd call him Mars. And so the hill, the Pagus, would be called Mars Hill if we were translating the Latin. If we're just speaking in Greek, it's the Areopagus. It's Ares, Mars Hill, okay? So originally it was this, uh, uh, well, it's that. You can climb up on it. They have a plaque of Paul's speech. You can climb up on it. As a practical matter, the council that used to meet on it may have been meeting somewhere else when Paul had his meeting. So he may not have technically been up there. He'd have been nearby. But when you're, whether he was or not, when you're there, This is what you see if you look one direction. You see the Acropolis with all of the temples. The other direction, you look down and you see the Agora with all of its temples. And so Paul is there and Paul has this conversation with them. 
Look at how Paul addresses them if we go to the Elmo, please. So Paul, standing in the midst of the area, Opagus said, standing in the midst, by the way. Paul, is he's just a cool dude. Okay, he's trained as a rabbi. Rabbis, go back and read the sites I've given you from the New Testament. A rabbi, you stood up to read the scriptures. Then you sat down to teach. But not the Greek philosophers. The Greek philosophers to teach would stand up, they would put out an arm, and they'd commence to teach him. And that's what Paul does. He strikes the philosopher's pose. Because Paul's a Jew to Jew and a Greek to Greeks. And he's a philosopher to philosophers. So that he might reach them for the Lord Jesus Christ. Standing in the midst of the Areopagus. Paul says, men of Athens, I perceive in every way you're very religious. I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship. You're worshiping these objects. I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Now, that's not a foreign concept to the Greeks. For 200 years, that concept had been around. The Greeks understood it. At this point, the Greeks are saying, and many of these Greeks now believe in one God who created things. They can't figure out how this stuff came to be from without him. And I don't care if you believe in evolution or you believe in a a, a creation or you believe in whatever. The bottom line is all this matter and material came from somewhere. And so he's saying, the God who created. Doesn't live in temples made by man. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Since he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And oh, if you read the Greek, it reads so eloquent. Paul is rhyming his Greek words like a Greek rhetorician who is first rate. They had to be impressed that this foreign Jew is standing there in the pose, making the references, making the statement, and doing it with eloquence that that is exceptional. He continues to say, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods, the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. And here's the thrust of this statement. Paul's saying, God didn't make everything for us to wallow in it Seeking our own happiness. Our first and highest priority is to seek and understand the God who did this. That's the academic challenge. That's the focus. But that's also the spiritual challenge. That's also the personal challenge. 
He says that they should seek God and hope that they might feel their way toward him. Grope is a good word, way to translate that Greek. And find him. But he's not that far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Paul's quoting a Greek philosopher. As even some of your own poets have said, for indeed we are his offspring. That's from Erotus's poem. Erotus, by the way, was from Paul's hometown, but famous in Athens. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. God made man in God's image. These are things we've made out of our imagination. These are idols we've constructed to worship when we need to be worshiping the Lord God who made us, not what we have made. And the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he'll judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed. And of this, he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Look, Paul's not going to the Old Testament with these folks because it would have meant nothing. Paul is going to them from where they are, meeting them where they are, at, as Stephen said this morning, a divine appointment. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Yeah, but especially the Epicureans who thought death is the end. But others said, "Uh, okay, I want more of this. I want to hear more about this. So Paul went out from their midst, and some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Dionysius becomes the first bishop of the church, according to church history in Athens, and ultimately is martyred for his faith under Domitian, Emperor Domitian in the 90s. So what do we have here? Paul had a very different... Oh, by the way, next week, Corinth. Paul had a very different missionary trip than he expected. Hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. It seems with you there's something new every time I turn around. I never really know quite what to expect, but it won't keep me down. Interestingly enough, about a month or so ago, Amy Grant came out with a new album. Um, She has a song on there, If I Could See Like the Angels See. And she talks about how different her life would be if she only could see beyond what she sees. It's a tremendous song. But what I found interesting is she's singing the same message just as a more mature woman in her 50s that she was singing when she was a teenage girl. Because while the the looks can change with age... And while the sound can change with age, the message is as eternal as our walk with God. Points for home. We'll take first point from Thessalonica. A mob dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. Paul gets booted out. 
I'm sure this is not what Jason had planned when he became a believer. It certainly wasn't what Paul had planned on the road to Rome. Lord, those are not my plans. I've said that to him before. I still say that to him. But I hope I have the wisdom to say, and I'd rather have yours than mine. Whatever you've got in front of your life, Lord, those aren't my plans. I had this whole thing worked out. That's okay. It needs to be the other way. Be a walker in faith. From Berea. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I don't know how to add to that except to say, point for home, may I be a Berean. Lord, may I receive your word with eagerness. May I examine the scriptures daily. Oh no, we just do, that's what we were saved for Sunday morning. Uh-uh. Daily. To understand the will of God and how he's moving and working. Last. From Athens. Paul said, God has given assurance to all by raising this man from the dead. Paul wasn't going to say that and skip town. Paul was never worried about you checking his sources. There were plenty of eyewitnesses alive at the time he said it. God has worked in all of his children's lives a resurrection power to change who we are with a promise that when this physical body snuffs out, it is not the end. It's just the doorway to eternity. Amen, Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the blessings of, of Paul's journey and the journey of those with him. For securing those, for us to read and be able to study, for letting us live in a day and in an age where so much has been uncovered by archaeology to help us understand even more fully the depths of, of the riches of your plan. I pray, Lord, for every person hearing this message, that your Holy Spirit will reach in just as assuredly as you turn their lives upside down, around, sideways, backwards, whatever you're doing, to see that your plans are done instead of ours. Lord, it's my prayer that, that, that folks hearing this message will be encouraged and will embrace your, 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 your work in their lives. Through Jesus our Lord, amen.